All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Jordan Syatt. Jordan is a strength and nutrition coach who's known for helping people finally reach their fitness goals by helping them discover a healthier approach to training and food and building an indestructible mindset and belief in themselves and his clients. He has written for a variety of outlets including CNN, Huffington Post, Men's Health and Fitness and so many more. He holds several powerlifting world records, was previously Gary Vanderchuk's personal strength and nutrition coach, loves Harry Potter and holds a 27th degree black belt in chucking coffee. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute joy to have somebody that can actually get people to transform, do it in a fun way, give them the tips and hacks they need. But how do you explain who you are to people? Uh, well, first I say I am a short, balding, nerdy Jewish guy. And actually, not balding, I'm bald. So bald Jewish guy, nerdy. I, I, I've gotten into fitness for many years. I, I started when I was eight years old. I got into wrestling and that sort of just catapulted me into the industry. I, I fell in love with wrestling and um, I ended up making varsity as a freshman in high school. So at 14 years old, I was on the varsity team and I had to cut a lot of weight and gain a lot of strength because I was mainly going up against 17 and 18 year olds. And the strength difference between a 14 year old and an 18 year old is massive. So I applied to a gym. I, I grew up just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. I applied to a gym. I said, listen, I want to intern with you. I'll take the trash out. I'll clean the floors. I'll work for free. Just let me come and learn. And I was very blessed because they let me come in and work as an intern. And they were also very science-based. And I've been doing that ever since I was 14. And uh, I've been through many different phases in my career as a competitive power lifter and, uh, and doing like mixed martial arts and, and fighting. And, and the vast majority of what I do is really with everyday, everyday men and women. I would say the majority of my clients are about 75 to 80% women, anywhere between 25 to 75 years old. And I just want to help people learn how to feel better and move better and be more confident and uh, and learn how to fit fitness into their life rather than trying to fit their life into fitness. That's a, a very noble goal. I, mean, I, I really like your approach because you do the physical as well as the psychological. You know, you don't just go go hit the gym. You actually deal with all the, the niggling shite that people are holding on to, you know, the story, the problems, they tell themselves why they can't change. But you initially were a, a wrestler back in school. What did that, and sort of powerlifting four times your body weight, et cetera, what did that tell you about health, competing, and what we're capable as human beings? Because I don't think a lot of people really believe they can change. They see others doing it, but they don't think they can physically do it. What would you say to people in that kind of, they're struggling off the couch because they don't believe they can really change? Man, I think this is one of the the most common reasons that people struggle is they don't 
they truly don't believe they can change. They they don't believe that it's going to work, right? And, and there's actually it's a lay, there are layers to this and reasons why. I think there are some people who truly believe it's never going to work, and I think there are other people who believe that it will work, but only if they are perfect and if they are unbelievably restrictive. And I think because people think they need to be perfect and they need to be unbelievably restrictive, because of that, they don't think that it can work. They don't think it's ever they're ever going to succeed because they have this misconception of what is needed in order to succeed. So, so for me, a huge part of what I do is trying to break down and, and help people understand you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be 100% consistent. You don't need to starve yourself. You don't need to work out seven days a week. It's actually a much more doable and reasonable approach to fitness that is going to lead you to success. In fact, there the research showing that that people who are overly restrictive and overly rigid with their training and nutrition, the research on them is that they are significantly less likely to succeed long-term. And that's a no-brainer because it's unsustainable. The most successful people in the world in terms of their health and fitness are far more flexible with their approach. It's not as restrictive. It's not as demanding. It's it's far more fitting it into your life rather than fitting your life into it. I love that. I mean, I was a I became a big fan of yours when I initially found you. I can't remember how. I usually know the story and I can say like I did this and I did that, but you've just always been there in my in my life. <laughs> and I think that's the thing. It's one of those things that I just enjoy your content, but you also teach me. You also get me motivated and inspired, but you cut through the chaff. You know, you have you take the very scientific protocols and you make it understandable but fun. And how would we define fitness to somebody like a healthy lifestyle? Do you work that with your clients to see what their version of fitness? Like, you know, for me, it's like I'm going back to jujitsu after a, a year off. I also want, I used to power lift. I used to do this, you know, but I want to just throw some plasterboard on my shoulder when I'm helping my sister moving, starting our new house. You know, I want to be able to move equipment when I'm on the croft with my dad when I'm out visiting, that sort of stuff. But to other people, that might be six-pack abs and the like. Do you go into that with your customers, or is it just gradually increasing the health? Generally? Yeah, I, I, I think if you don't go into that with your clients, then you're you're sort of you're going in blind, right? It's sort of like I'm trying to come up with a good analogy off the top of my head, but it would sort of be like, let's say someone goes into a financial advisor and the financial advisor doesn't know anything about the client's financial situation. They don't know, are they in debt? Do they have $500,000 of savings in the bank? Uh, they don't know, do they have any investments? They don't know, do they have a really sick family member who is is requiring a lot of extra money in order to, to pay for their medical needs? Like if they don't know the, the client's income, their expenses, they don't know how much money they have in the bank, they don't know any of that, then how can they provide a plan that's actually going to help them achieve it? So really when, when we're asking do we talk to our clients about what fitness is? What we're really asking is, are we asking them what their goals are? Like what, what do they want to achieve? And for one person, it might be, I want to get shredded and have a six pack. And for someone else, it might be, I just want to be able to pick my grandson up without hurting my shoulder. And, and for someone, it might start with wanting to have a six pack and for, and it might 
progress to wanting to deadlift four times their body weight. And then it might progress to wanting to get out of back pain after destroying their back from powerlifting for years. And then it might progress to wanting to improve their, their mile time. It's, there are so many things that happen among people and then within each individual. So absolutely, it really, it's part of, part of the coaching process is understanding what are your client's goals. And I think one of the biggest issues with many coaches nowadays is they try and pigeonhole their client into what the coach believes they should be doing, as opposed to the coach listening to what the client actually wants to do. I've had that many a time. You go in and they give you the same cookie cutter plan that they've given the guy that's 30 years older than you that only wants to just go to have a bit of fun get a bit of exercise in their life and you're asking them for a specific plan for a target do you think that's the problem with fitness is that there's so many things potentially you know there's like body weight people tell you, you should be olympic lifting power lifting we should be only mastering your body before you go to the weight you need to be walking more you need to be doing this you need to do that you know you open men's health there's 300 pages of conflicting advice. How on earth do we start this? How do we do functional muscle before we start rampicating about frequency, intensity, all the fun, <laughs> more intense stuff? How do we just start this on journey, do you think? Man, it's it's you bring up an amazing point and an important part of the discussion, which is how are people supposed to know what's right? There's so much conflicting information. Uh, how are they supposed to know what to do? And the unfortunate truth is they're not, they're not just supposed to know, like, like with anything, if you want to be good at anything, whether it's nutrition, whether it's strength training, whether it's being a good parent, whether it's it's becoming a mathematician, whether it's becoming uh, a, a painter, there's a, a, a huge time period in which you have no clue what the fuck you're doing. And you're going to make mistakes over and over and over and over again. I don't care if it's about learning how to deadlift, learning how to have a good relationship with food, learning to be a good father or mother, learning how to be a good artist. You make mistakes that's part of the process. And a lot of the mistakes, part of them are fueled by your own ignorance. And part of them are fueled by people giving you terrible advice along the way, right? It's that, that's part of life in every aspect of life. So unfortunately, fitness is one of the most convoluted spaces. And, and it's, it's even, I would say fitness is, is worse than something like if you want to become a painter, because in order to succeed as a painter, even if you get bad advice, it's probably not hurting anybody else. But with fitness, there's advice out there that could legitimately harm you. And that's what makes it a little bit more scary. Now, I think one of the best things that anyone can do is, is and this is going to sound obnoxious at first, but I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to clarify that, that you have to use common sense. That's the number one thing. And, and unfortunately, common sense isn't very common, but I always like to think of it from the perspective of if it sounds really stupid, it's probably really stupid. For example, in, in recent years, we've seen a lot of people talking about how fruits and vegetables are bad for you, either because of the sugar or how fiber is somehow bad for you. It's like, hold on. Okay. If someone is telling you that fruit is bad for you, let's just say this very slowly. Fruit, which has been eaten for the entirety of our human population, even before we were humans, is a major part of what we've eaten. Somehow fruit is the fucking problem. Come on. 
and they might have all of the science and talk about the difference between sucrose and sucralose and fructose and all this stuff. Hold on. You're still just saying fruit is bad for you. I don't care what scientific jargon you you say. Fruit is not fucking bad for us. And so if you can do your best to break it down into a, does this sound stupid or not, then you're probably going to be okay. And, and that's where critical thinking comes into play. And I don't know anything about the school systems uh, in Scotland or Ireland or in the UK or anywhere. I don't really know that. And, and I don't even fully understand it in the US, but I do know that one of the things that I wish they had spent more time teaching us here in the US was critical thinking. Uh, I think it that should be a, a much larger portion of the curriculum in school, understanding critical thinking as opposed to, I don't know, like, I don't know when the last time I've ever needed to know what a rhombus was, but we spent a lot of time studying geometry in school. So if you can work on becoming a better, better critical thinker and understanding, all right, just breaking it down into, all right, so what are you practically telling me? Are you practically telling me that fruit is going to make me fat? Okay, fuck you. I'm unfollowing you. I'm not taking your advice. Yeah, it's it's a strange one when you think about it because like we get taught Pythagoras theorem, but we don't get taught how to eat healthy. Well, I think they're maybe doing that nowadays with the kids in the UK. You know, we don't get taught how to be healthy with our body image and actually believe in ourselves. I think slowly these changes are coming in, but like most of the time, you learn your approach to food through your parents. And, you know, you get the ones where certain foods are healthy. They're the heroes of the story. And then you get like the Voldemort approach, you know, you get the Bada Kedavra killing the, oh, that you have to get rid of that from your diet, your diet because it's the most evil fruit in the world and it's a horcrux and all this kind of nonsense. And I always want to just say to people, it's like, why, why do you believe that's good and that's a bad food? It's the same fuel. You can, you just eat it in moderation. You just don't be a dick about it. <laughs> How do you get people to shift that mindset of there isn't such a thing as good or bad food? It's your approach to it. Man, that that's a phenomenal question. And that's something that quite frankly, I still struggle with. And, and it's one of the most common issues that people will have with my content, because I talk about it a lot. And people who followed me for a while, generally speaking, understand it, and, and they've gotten to that point. But so when someone new finds my content, it's one of the first issues they have, like, well, that's not true. And they always, the answer is, all they will always say, Twinkies aren't good for you. That is always the food. Do you have Twinkies in Scotland? Yeah, I think you have to import them mostly, but we have like deep fried Mars bars. We're not winning. Okay, yeah. So, so in the U.S., it's all the, the they'll always say Twinkies aren't good for you for whatever reason. That's the one they go with. And I always i ha, I haven't found a way that's more efficient than this, but this breakdown has worked every single time. Uh, I'll always always be like, okay, so why are they bad for you? And they'll be like, and, and they'll try and come up with an answer. I'm like, okay. So, and maybe they'll be like, well, they're bad for your cholesterol, whatever, whatever they come up with. I'm like, okay. So are you saying that if I have very healthy cholesterol right now and I eat one Twinkie, my cholesterol will, will immediately be bad. And they're like, well, no, not, it's not just one. I'm like, oh, okay. That's exactly right. So you're not, it's not that just Twinkies are inherently bad for you because if they were, then having just one would mean I would have immediate negative health outcomes. It's, uh, and we can see this with anything, like whether it's smoking, there are immediate negative health outcomes, like very clearly with drinking, with anything that's truly bad for you, then you see immediate negative health outcomes. So it really comes down to the dose determines the poison. But from there, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about, okay, let's, let's discuss 
calories. Because usually if people say there are good foods and bad foods, they also are the same person that says there are good calories and bad calories. Mm -hmm. So often my question will go down the line of, all right, well, what is the definition of a calorie? And usually they have no idea, but it boils down to how much energy is in a given food. That a calorie is just, it's a unit of measurement. It measures how much energy is in a given food. So cool. And once we agree on that, because we can Google it very quickly and, and any, any, anyone with a basic understanding of nutritional science understands this. Cool. So it's just a unit of measurement. Then I'll use this analogy, which I've used since 2000, either 17 or 2018 is when I, I just made it up on a YouTube video one time. I was like, let's say we have a mile or we're talking, let's say you use kilometers, right? In Scotland. Mm -hmm. So let's say we have one kilometer, right? It doesn't matter if the kilometer is going uphill or downhill. It doesn't matter if the kilometer is on sand or in the forest. It doesn't matter if the kilometer is, uh, is, um, is going upstairs or downstairs. A kilometer, it, it's still all the same distance. One kilometer is one kilometer. Now, it's much more difficult to run one kilometer on sand than it is to run one kilometer on pavement because of the composition of that kilometer but it doesn't change the fact that you're still running one kilometer. So going back to calories, a hundred calories from an apple is the exact same as a hundred calories from a donut because all those calories are doing is measuring how much energy you're putting into your body. Now the composition of the food, the proteins, the carbs, the fats, the vitamins, the minerals, the nutrition of it will change. And that will change the effect it has on your body from in many different in many different ways in terms of the glucose response, uh, effect on cholesterol, effect on, on digestion, effect on energy, all of that. But in terms of the caloric impact on your body, how much energy your body is taking in, it is exactly the same regardless of whether it's from an apple or a donut. And then once we can get them to understand that all calories are inherently created equal in the same way that all kilometers are the exact same distance, then we can start to understand there's no such thing as a good food or a bad food. It's amazing how we tell ourselves stories or we make these things up in our head to kind of to justify. You know, it's like we'll, we'll sit in a crappy job for years being unhappy because we don't want to make the change until it becomes unbearable. And then eventually we change. I think we do that for health as well. Do you think that's why you've been so successful is that, you know, you studied behavioral health psychology. So, you get to actually understand the the thinking behind it, the barriers that people are putting in. How how or what barriers have you noticed that need to be eliminated before people really start to make a change on a deep level? You know, it's it's interesting you ask this because really the the biggest barrier is what we discussed at the very beginning, which is they don't believe. Either they don't believe that they can do it, they don't believe that that it's going to be possible, or they don't believe that it's going to work. Either one of those. It's the lack of belief in themselves. And the term for this in the literature is self-efficacy. And self-efficacy, is it's very similar to self-confidence. There are slight differences, but basically, it me it refers to your belief in yourself to accomplish a very specific task. So if you if you don't believe that you're going to be able to lose weight and keep it off then why would you even bother trying why would you bother going to the grocery store and spending more time trying to find foods that are going to be better for hitting your calories and macros why would you uh 
prepare food ahead of time, whether it's meal prep or ingredient prep? Why would you bother working out and going to the gym? Why would you bother doing any of this stuff if you don't think it's going to work? It You wouldn't. It, in, in the same way, the analogy that I've always used for this is if I told you that if you, if you were to uh, buy a lottery ticket today, you would have a you you would have a 99% chance of winning 10 million dollars then I guarantee you would make sure you go buy a lottery ticket for sure but if i told you if you were to buy a lottery ticket today you only had a, a 0.05 chance of winning the lot of winning uh the lottery there's a real chance that like you probably like you know what like i can't waste that money i'm probably not going to i'm not going to win anyway so what's the point and it goes to show it's like if you believe that you can do something then you're more likely to take the steps necessary in order to do it. But if you don't believe that you can do something, then why bother? So the first thing that we really need to tackle, especially with clients, is how do you get them to believe that they can do it? And I think when a lot of coaches hear this, they think, oh, this is a one-time thing. I have a one-time conversation with my client, and I get them to believe in themselves that day, and then I'm done. And that is not how it works. The, the process of increasing someone's self-efficacy is an ongoing process. Now, each client has a different level needed in order to, uh, in order, based on, on their individual needs. So sometimes I, I would use a Likert scale, L-I-K-E-R-T, when I was doing one-on-one coaching. One of the first things I would ask someone once we had decided to work together and we were all set and ready to go, one of the first things I would say is, okay, on a scale of one to 10, one being not confident at all, like you you know you're going to fail, and 10 being 100% confident, you know you're going to succeed. How confident are you in your in yourself and your own ability to achieve the goals we've discussed? What I realized after years of doing this is if someone said that they were a seven or above, they were infinitely more likely to actually succeed and to stay consistent with the program and to achieve their goals. Whereas if someone said they were six or below, they were way less likely. So what I ended up doing is I would spend for, for the people who scored seven or above, I didn't need to spend as much time with them because they didn't need it. They didn't, these were the people who actually, they responded somewhat negatively to me cheerleading. They were like, I don't need you cheerleading. Like I know what to do. I'm going to do it anyway. Like I don't need the rah, rah. Whereas the people who scored six or below, they needed more time from me. They needed more rah-rah. They needed to know that I was there. They needed to know that I'm cheering them on. And so that was incredibly helpful for me as a coach to learn that there there are levels to this and the people who score lower on a scale of self-efficacy will generally need you more. Now, one of my main goals as a coach was to progress people along where they were consistently getting seven or above. So if someone started with me and they were at a three, by the end of six months, I was hoping that they were closer to a six or a seven on a consistent basis. Now, everyone has good days and bad days. So even if someone scored a nine with me on day one, Maybe randomly, on, on, or maybe they had a really bad week or something, and they score a, a five or a six later on. But usually, if they they are higher at the beginning, they're able to maintain a, a, an above seven. Whereas if they score lower, that often tends to be their their uh, default. So I, it's my job as the coach to try and continuously be in there uh, and understanding where they're at from a self efficacy perspective and trying to build them up as much as I can. And is that where the kind of when you look at what people are doing um to start to change we actually need to action 
you know, we we need to act before we get the motivation. We need to get the change. But a lot of people are, you know, they're burnt out. They're living off dopamine. You know, they've they don't know how to even start eating healthy. Their their fridge is filled with shite. How do you get them to have a sort of? I don't want to use the term, but cleanse. How do you get them healthy and able to start that change? To because you know they might say I'm a seven to eight to change. But, you know, that might be ruled in imposter syndrome, not really understanding the commitment they're making or what it takes. How do you shut off that part of their life to let them have a fresh chance at actual success? Because I've always been a big guy. I've, I know what I should be doing. And I always fall and eat crap. And then before I know it, suddenly I'm not working out and the belly appears again. And then I start the process again and again. How do we finally shut off... I don't know, the instant gratification side of our life. Man, you're asking really wonderful questions. I don't know if there's a way to shut off the instant gratification. I think what we need to do is we need to, especially from a coaching perspective, we need to make sure very early on that the client understands what a realistic rate of progress is so that they don't fall into this trap of, well, I'm not making progress quickly enough, so I'm going to fall off. That's one of the reasons people will fall off. I think there are many reasons why people fall off. Two of the main ones are um, it's too difficult because they are being too restrictive and being too intense with it. They, they're trying to work out every day, trying to be 100% perfect with their diet, which is just unrealistic. And, and like I said earlier, research shows they people fail more more consistently when they try and be rigid like that. The other reason is because they don't think it's working as quickly as it should. Like, I, I can't tell you the number of times I've had a client say, oh my God, I've only lost four pounds this month and I lose my fucking shit. I'm like, you've only lost four pounds? Like what? Or like, I've only lost two kilograms this month. Like, are, are you out of your fucking mind? Two kilograms in a month is amazing progress. In fact, that's uh, like right on track with incredible, incredible progress. I'd so what's up? I would take it happily. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I think so much of why people are falling off is because they have unrealistic expectations. And so in order to remove them from this instant gratification uh, ideology and this, this habit that they have is we need to be very clear with what they can really expect in a, in a realistic time frame, And also one of the biggest issues is a lot of the marketing around fitness is is geared towards instant gratification. It doesn't take a genius to look around fitness magazines or whatever and or fitness products and, and you'll see lose 30 pounds in seven days. It's like, okay, well, no wonder people are feeling like they're they're not making progress quickly enough because all of the marketing geared towards them is telling them that they're doing it. It's not working. It's too slow. And unfortunately, I even there are obviously coaches who do this poorly. There are doctors who do this poorly. Doctors who will say, "Oh wow, like you've only lost this amount of weight since I last saw you. Like you've only lost ten pounds in the last few months." It's like, what? Why the fuck would you say that? 10 pounds in a few months is extraordinary. Five kilograms in a few months is extraordinary. Like, Why in the hell would a doctor say you're not losing it quickly enough? Um, and, and I could understand if someone is like 300 kilograms and, it and has to lose weight quickly or else they're going to have to get an amputation or they could die. But for someone who doesn't have that much to lose, or even if they've got like 25 
uh, 25, 30, 45, 50 kilograms to lose. Usually it, it doesn't need to happen outrageously fast. It can still happen somewhat slower and you start seeing amazing results. So it's, it's partially the responsibility of the individual and also partially the responsibility of the coaches and the doctors and the marketers to start pushing something more realistic. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. And is that a problem from things like The Biggest Loser, where they, you know, where they put such a value on the amount of weight that was lost? Never mind it's all water weight, and then they're getting guys to tried to sprint when they were like 30 40 stone you know and then we get people coming out with oh you can change yourself in a week by going on such and such a cleanse it's are we struggling because we have such a unrealistic value attached to what makes a good workout people think if you're not sweating if you're not an agony the next day i i used to believe that you know if i didn't have massive doms it was a bad session Absolutely. I mean, the the biggest loser is, I think, one of the worst things that's ever happened to our collective mental health. Um, And you'll always notice they always show you how much they lose on the show, but they never show you what these people are doing after the show. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of documented cases and like essentially mini documentaries of the contestants who are on that show who talk about what happens once it's all over. And it's it's awful, man. Like the the success rate is unbelievably low the vast majority of them well over 95% not only regain all the weight which is usually hundreds of pounds but even more on top of that not to mention could you imagine being on international tv having people all over the world watch your journey watch you struggle to lose this weight and then you go back home and everywhere you go Everyone is watching you gain the weight back and you know it. You're not an idiot. You're aware. Everyone is seeing you do this and you feel like shit. It is collectively one of the absolute worst things that has ever happened to the fitness industry and, and the, the weight loss world in general. It's absolutely awful. Cause I can imagine that like, you know, you're just like, here you are, you're the biggest loser. The title alone probably is pretty offensive to people. Then on you go, no support put in place for after. Of course, you're going to put back on. And I know what a pain and destructive that is. I mean, I carried on eating through COVID like I'm still training jiu-jitsu. And I ate crap because I justified it by, oh, that's all I could get from the local Safeway or the local Tesco or whatever, you know. And before I knew it, I was uh, must have bloomed up to about 20 stone. And I see myself in the mirror the other day and thought, oh, dear God, no. And now I'm thinking, how do I get back to jiu-jitsu being so under overweight? How do I get healthy again? How do I take my my top off for sexy time? You know, how do I do all these things that normal healthy people take for granted? But I think a lot of the problems people have in the gym is is comparison of others. It's worried that they're an imposter. They shouldn't be there compared to the big guys that are there, which are some of the nicest people in the world. 
then you know you have people who think, oh well, I'm not moving fast enough. Um, I should just give up. How do we make this understanding that it's a marathon, not a sprint, and that we actually the value is the competition between you and who you were yesterday? Because I think the rest of it fits itself into place once you overcome this BS. Because we're always self sabotage. How do we? And that's a big question. But how do we actually win the competition against yourself? It's a wonderful question, and I think whoever can 100% solve this is going to be a very wealthy individual. But you know, there are many people who say you shouldn't compare yourself to other people, and I should be be blunt and be like I I used to say that all the time. Don't compare yourself. Don't compare yourself. And I've realized like basically every time I've ever made a blanket statement, I've always realized I was wrong. And there's far more nuance than just saying don't do this or definitely do that. There's so much gray area. And the issue with I say the issue with not comparing yourself to people is we can look at, for example, the four minute mile. For until very recently, it was believed that not only was the four minute mile impossible, it was believed that if you ran a four minute mile, your heart would explode. This is what doctors truly thought. They thought if you ran a four-minute mile or below, your, your heart was working so hard and so fast that it would explode. Until one man, and I forget his name. I feel like an asshole. Oh, there was um, one man. Ronald, Roger Bannister, was it? Yes, Bannister. exactly. Yes, until he did it. And then after him, hundreds of people have done it. And that the literally the only reason that hundreds of people have done it since is because they compared themselves to him. They're like, well, if he could do it, then I can. And there's actually going back towards self-efficacy, one of the the best ways to improve self-efficacy is something called social modeling, which you watch what other people are doing and you realize, well, if they can do it, then I can too. What I found interesting is for some people, when some people compare themselves, they look at it and say, well, if they can do it, I can. Whereas other people say, oh, they can do it, but I can't. And that's what we need to address. We need to address not the comparison, but how are how are you um, how are you examining yourself after the comparison? Are you saying, "Well, they did it, but I can't," or are you saying, "Well, they did it, so I can too"? And I think that has a plays a huge role in your ability to stick with something, your ability to say, like, "All right, you know, I can make this happen or not," and and in to it has a massive impact on your self efficacy. So there's that, which I think is a huge part of it. There's also the the aspect which people are often looking to make the the, the result. They, they want to get to their goal as quickly as possible. They have a timeline. They have an end date. I have to achieve X goal by Y time. And I think it's one of the worst things that you can possibly have. And if you're an elite high-level professional athlete and you have a competition on a certain day, yeah, you've got a peak for that competition. Maybe you're a jujitsu competitor, a power lifter, a boxer, a fighter, a base, uh, whatever, whatever you are. Maybe you have, if you're an Olympian, you've got to compete on that day. You have to peak for that. If you are not at that high level, elite world-class level of competition, there's no reason for you to have an end date by which you're supposed to achieve a certain goal, by which you're supposed to be able to get your first chin up, by which you're supposed to lose the next two stone, by which you're, whatever it is, right? It's like, it doesn't, if you have a timeline and end date on it, it usually does far, far more harm than good. And I think doing your best to focus on just getting better today and in trying to enjoy the process today, it's a very difficult mindset shift, but when you can make that and then you can really start to enjoy it and embrace it, it I think it changes everything. 
So say you could pull out your wand now, you'd achieved your dream of becoming a wizard. I mean, I'm a because <laughs> ma- like I'm a massive Harry Potter fan. I I'm so disappointed about the movies compared to the books, but that's another podcast. Bro, amen, amen. I want them to redo it. I I heard they're making a whole TV series. It's coming, and apparently they're all saying we're going to judge against who gets Harry now against Daniel Radcliffe, and he's like, I couldn't care. I'm really looking forward to it. You know, <laughs> they made Ron an idiot throughout the series. They gave Hermione information that she would never have known. They gave her all the lines from the books because the director apparently thought she was the best and she needed to be focused on. You obviously didn't read the bloody books. You know, it completely spoiled the character development and all this sorts of stuff. Ah, oh, could go you for are hours. Preaching. Man, you are absolutely preaching. Well said. Oh, there's, we, we need a podcast on Harry Potter alone, I think. But, um, Dude, I'll do it. And let's 100% schedule that. Awesome. Well, I'm down for it because I could literally badmouth it for days. But if you could, Imperio, and you know you could get everybody listening to to level up, to get just better health-wise, what habits would you want? Because you have this fantastic one, two, three method. When I heard that, I was like, holy hell, that is amazing because it gets people to improve themselves 30-40% minimum before they've even touched the weight before they make any other habit change can you go into sort of like you know what habits you want people to do and like how the one two three method um like a one big ass salad to you know like, i was just like this guy gets it i love i love that approach but could you go into a little bit about that like what lifestyle changes you'd want people to be doing straight away yeah man i mean the the biggest thing is like I've said so many times, it, it's about doing the simple things that work very consistently. What there's um to go slightly off topic before we come back. One of my good friends in the industry, his name is Ben Bruno. He's an amazing person, an amazing coach. I, I've been friends with him since like 2010 when he was just a, a little nobody trainer and in Boston, Massachusetts. Now he's Justin Timberlake's and Jessica, Jessica Beals trainer, Chelsea Hanley. Like he, he trains like some of the, the most famous people in the world and he deserves all the success in the world. And one of the, my, one of my favorite quotes of his is to the effect of effective strength training is doing the same 15 to 20 exercises over and over and over again until you die. And that's really it. Like everyone wants to find new exercises and fancy exercises and do all these crazy things when the reality is effective strength training is doing the same 15 to 20 exercises over and over and over again until you die. And that's really what it is. And so whether it's strength training or nutrition, lifestyle, the things that really work are the things that have worked since the beginning of time. And they're very simple and, and simple doesn't mean easy, but they're simple and they work. So it's, getting your steps in, eating a lot of fruits and vegetables, eating lean proteins, staying hydrated, prioritizing sleep. These are the things that work. And, and that's why I came up with the one, two, three method from a, a nutritional perspective, because it's just so simple and it really breaks it down into something that so many people can do. So one, one stands for one big ass salad every day. It's just have a big salad. And, and people love to overcomplicate it. They're like, well, what if I don't like raw vegetables? Then I don't give a fuck. Then make a stir fry with a lot of vegetables. Get a big bowl, put a lot of vegetables in it, eat it every day. You should have a big bowl of veggies every day. Two is for two pieces of fruit. I don't care if it's a mango, watermelon, apple, kiwi, doesn't matter to me. Make sure you eat two pieces of fruit every day. Doesn't and it then- make us fat though? 
<laughs> and then three bottles of water. And then people also love to complicate this. Well, how much water? Like how many ounces of water? I don't care. Three bottles of water. Should it be sparkling water? Still water? Does it I have to come from comments the like that? I was it's, it's it's wild, man. It's just three bottles of water, one salad, two pieces of fruit, three bottles of water. If you can do this every day for a year, you're going to be in such a better place. Okay, it's like it's like you're saying how much we overcomplicate it. It's like, oh, but what size a bottle? Whatever one you've got on your desk, fill it three times. Why does it need to be overcomplicated? How then? How do we take that and make it a lifestyle habit? Because I think you said consistently good is better than imperfect you know it's like perfectly inconsistent and i love that approach of like if you're not in the gym it doesn't matter how great a program you've got or how great your knowledge is if you're not putting the effort in you're not going to change how do we add recovery you know because when you've got beautiful family you're besotted by your daughter you know you do jujitsu you've got all this stuff going on you're running a business far more than most people who are making excuses have gone but instead of making it negative, how do we turn it as part of life, part of enjoyment, look at it as a positive and part of a great life rather than a oh, it's something I've got to endure to get healthy? You know, it's a really, really, I've said this for basically every question. You, you have really wonderful questions. Um, I'll, I'll say this. One thing that I used to say as a coach was you want, you want to find the exercise that you love. And I still believe that in an ideal world, you should find the exercise that you love to do and do that. But what I realized through years of coaching people is that there are many people that no matter what, they're going to fucking hate every single form of exercise. And the reality is whether they love it or hate it, they still have to do it because it's important for their health. It's important for them individually. It's important for their spouse, for their children, for their coworkers, for their society, for their country to be as healthy as they can possibly be. It's important from all the way down to you, the individual, and every single person that you impact as a result of it. And I don't care if you love it or not, you still need to do it. Now, if you love it, maybe you'll do it more. Like I love jujitsu. So I train way more than I need to for health benefits. I train because I just love it and health benefits also come with it. Um, if you love something, oftentimes it's far less difficult in order to do it because you're just excited about it. And I've also found that if you start to make progress in something that maybe you don't like at first, oftentimes you'll start to like it because you begin to see progress. So we do see that shift as well. But what's important to remember, I think this is just vitally, vitally, vitally critical to understand. Exercise and nutrition does not have to take over an, inor an inordinate amount of time in your life. And it, it doesn't have to be overly difficult. But just because it doesn't have to be overly difficult doesn't mean that you're going to love every single second of it. And that's okay. But you still got to fucking do it. You can't not do it. Or I guess you can, but if you don't, then you're going to suffer the consequences. And the reality is going to the gym and working out is very hard. So is suffering the consequences of not going to the gym and working out. Eating very well and, and getting your nutrition in check can be very hard. But dealing with all the negative health consequences that come from not eating well, I'd say is probably way fucking harder. So the reality is you have to choose your hard 
and you might not love every minute of it, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. Love that. I love how you just get to the point. You know, you talk, you explain what we need to do. You don't sugarcoat it. And I love how you get get straight through it and that you're a black belt in coffee. That, <laughs> that's, that's the hardest level to get to. I mean, <laughs> we I haven't even touched on Brazilian jiu-jitsu because I love your outlook on jiu-jitsu, how you're so uh, honest about it and all that. Well, so I'd love to do even a podcast on jiu-jitsu and make a Deathly Hallows a podcast with you because I think there's so much we need to tackle in each of these areas. But what would you want people to take from this? And how can we keep in touch? Because I know we're very tight for time. Well, number one is I will come on a podcast with you anytime. So, uh, you. You, you know, my assistant cat and you just say, Hey, Jordan said he'd want to come on for another podcast and we will make that happen. I would love to talk about jujitsu, Harry Potter, all of it. Uh, you're an amazing host and I do a lot of podcasts. I've done between two to four podcasts a day, five days a week since 2017. So it's, uh, I don't give that compliment out lightly. You are an amazing host and I, I'm, I have had a wonderful time speaking with you. Thank you. If, I could, so think, if I could think about what I would really like people to take home. I mean, number one, probably listen to this podcast on repeat several times just because there, there's a lot in there because you asked such good questions. But I would say the reality is success is possible for every single person, there, there's no reason why you can't achieve your goals. It's, there's truly no reason. I, if I could hope for one thing from this episode, it's that just one person will start to believe in themselves a little bit more and they'll be more consistent with the things that matter. They're not going to go buy hundreds or thousands of dollars worth of supplements. They're not going to like buy any stupid shit. They're not going to buy any sweatbands or do a detox cleanse. They're going to start drinking more water. They're going to start eating more vegetables. They're going to start eating more fruit. They're going to start having more protein. They're going to start walking every day, just doing these things, th things that don't cause immediate, immediate results. But over the long term, you see outrageously drastic improvements in health, in terms of confidence, in terms of physical health, emotional health, mental health, all of it. So if you could, if one person from all of this gets, believes in themselves a little bit more, then my job is done. I'll, I'll, honestly, I, I can't remember the last time I was this gutted to be ending a podcast, but how can we keep in touch with you? How can we get them to sign up? you know, get your books, get the products, you know, just follow you on this journey, follow you on social media. I, I would just say this. I would say don't buy anything. Um, go to, you can go to my social media, my Instagram, my own podcast, the Jordan Syatt mini podcast or Syatt Fitness on Instagram, S-Y-A-T-T, and just follow me. And if you like my content and you find it helpful, then you're more than welcome to buy my shit. But in the meantime, go look, see if you like it, see if it's helpful. And, and that's that's all I would say. Well, that's it for another week, and thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, 
Keep seeking the next level in your life.